Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the first epistle of the Apostle Peter, chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O God, tell us what we need to hear and show us that we may, we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have not tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. See, I lay in Zion's stone, cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word. So they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So on this fifth Sunday after Easter, I want to welcome you to our service this morning and I want to say a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day to all the first time mothers. God bless you. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, make it a point to call your mom. If your mom's alive, if it's possible, I encourage you to do that and wish your mom a happy Mother's Day. God bless you all. Today I want to spend a moment just to talk with you about this question, what is a healthy church? And I want you to know that this question and the answers that I'm going to give to the question, they're not just applicable to the church. The answers are applicable to life, whether you're married or single, whether you're living in a, in a home, you're living in an apartment, a condo, wherever you are, these answers that I'm going to give will be applicable to your life. It was last year that I read a book written by a sociologist of religion. His name is Rodney Stark. He wrote the book, The Rise of Christianity. What I found compelling about the book was the subtitle that was, that was almost in the form of a question. And the question that emerged from the subtitle goes something like this. How did Christianity survive? How did the Jesus movement become the dominant religious force in the Western world in just a few centuries? How did that happen? I think that's an important question because when you think about all that Jesus' church endured over these two millennia under dictators and emperors and the violence against the church and the persecution that she's endured, 
in places like India or Pakistan or Iran or China. When you think about all the difficulties facing the church in the Western Hemisphere, not so much with persecution, but with greed and idolatry and the variety of distractions that the church continues to face, the question is, how did the church survive and how does it continue to survive and remain a vibrant community in this day? Over the past two, two weeks, I've been asking the session, I've been asking my staff to begin thinking about what the church might look like on the other side of the coronavirus pandemic. Because what we're learning is that the virus has really changed the world and some things will remain, but many things that we knew and took for granted in 2019, that those things may not survive. And people now are beginning to talk about what's called a post-coronavirus world. What will become of restaurants, they say? What will become of movie theaters? What will become of mass gatherings, whether going to the symphony or a major music festival or going to a mass sporting event or even going to church? What will that look like? Are we going to simply go back to business as usual? Will we do that? Is that what we're going to do? Just pick up where we left off? Or will we use these difficult times to inspire us and re-examine a lot of the things we've taken for granted, such as what is the church? Why does the church exist? For whom does the church exist? What is a healthy church? Can the church exist without a building? And all these questions and more are being asked by, by thought leaders across the nation. And that's why I am so glad that we have been reading this first letter of Peter. We're reading about first century Christians. We have a lot that we can learn from them, these first century believers, because they were facing their own pandemic. They were being tested by the fires of adversity. But we're also learning a lot from this great leader, this apostle, this very imperfect follower of Jesus named Peter, who was a friend of Jesus. We're learning about how he responded, what he said to guide the church during that very stressful time under Nero. And he reminds them of a couple things, a few things. Number one, as we said from the beginning, that they're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He reminds them that they're resident aliens living in reverent fear, reverent awe before a holy God in a, in a very, very ungodly pagan culture. He reminds them that even as they suffer, they're called to model the example of Jesus who himself suffered and yet modeled for us what it means to forgive our enemies. And I think in today's reading, what he's doing is help, he's reminding these scattered churches, he's reminding us that a healthy church is built on Christ the solid rock. So using Peter's words, let's consider then the question, what is a healthy church? And if you look at verses 2 and 3, I think in a roundabout way what Peter is telling us is that a healthy church is hungry for Jesus' food. And you say, well, what is the food? Peter calls it spiritual milk. Notice what he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And when our children were born, our greatest delight was to see them devour mom's milk. You see a major sign, and I think Pastor Amanda and Pastor Henry will agree with me that a major sign of a healthy growing baby is its yearning 
for food and its hunger for food and its crying out for food. Because there's nothing more distressing than a newborn without an appetite. The baby has no desire to eat, the baby's not growing, not gaining weight, and the parents and the doctors are beside themselves with concern. They know something is wrong. So what's Peter doing? Peter then is comparing the church to a newborn. And like a newborn, the church, if it's to grow, needs spiritual food, if it's to grow and to be healthy. Let me also say something to this proclivity that is so popular in our culture, this thing called church shopping. People go around looking for a church, and it's weird the things people tell me they're looking for. But I want to encourage you to make sure to check out the church's diet if you're shopping for a church. Because an unhealthy church, it might have great music, it might have all the things that makes the church look special. But check out the diet because an, an unhealthy church has no appetite for spiritual food. They'll talk about politics, they'll talk about a host of things, but they won't feed you Jesus' food. And those churches tend to be weak, they tend to be malnourished, they tend to be unable to endure. What exactly then is the spiritual food that you should be looking for? The milk that grows healthy Christians in a healthy church. I believe what Peter has been saying all along, and he keeps repeating it over and over, it's God's word. You've been born again because of the word of God, the seed of God's word. Peter says healthy churches grow up into salvation. And that really makes sense, doesn't it? Because when a baby is born, we want the baby to grow up. And it grows up by the food that it consumes. And so a healthy church at conversion, when a believer becomes a follower of Jesus, they begin to develop a new appetite. They begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. They long for more of Jesus, their Lord, and they just can't get enough. Someone wisely said that Christ will not taste sweet to us until sin tastes bitter. Think about that. And by the way, the reverse is also true. Sin will taste sweet to us as long as Jesus remains bitter and unsavory. Spiritual food will taste insipid. You will have no desire for the Word of God unless you come to repentance, unless you come to Jesus. And I mean that with all my heart, with all my love for every one of us. We've got to come to Christ in humility and repentance, giving our lives over to Him, and suddenly our appetites will change. So I'm asking you again, what's your appetite? If you're shopping for a church, what's the dominant food item on the menu of your church? What is it that's feeding your inner life? You've got to ask those questions if you're going to have a healthy church and a healthy life and a healthy home. The second thing that Peter helps us to see then is in verses 4 through 7, that a healthy church is built on Jesus the rock. So here's what Peter is doing now. He's switching from Christ as food for the growth of the church to Christ as a rock or a stone for the stability of the church. So notice what he says in verses 4 through 7. Come to him, come to Jesus, and he calls him a living stone. And then he quotes from the prophets. Though rejected by mortals, though rejected by the religious leaders, yet Jesus the living stone is chosen and precious in God's sight, and then he turns to us, the church, and he says, like living stones. 
So Jesus is a living stone, we're living stones. Let yourselves be built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And notice what he says the holy priesthood does to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. And then he quotes from Isaiah 28, this prophetic word, that I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And that last phrase, you find it in Psalm 34 also, that those who look to him will not be put to shame. You know, sometimes we forget, and this is where the shame comes. Sometimes we forget that if your life, if your church is built on, on anything less than Jesus Christ, that building will not pass inspection. It won't. Because the foundation of the church, the cornerstone of the church is Jesus. It's not you. And I'm so glad it's not me. I think of Solomon. When Solomon was building the temple, he knew that God was bigger than the temple made by hands, made with stone. And he said at the completion of the temple in 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 18, and these are words we need to remember. Will God indeed reside with mortals on earth? And what does he mean by that? He's saying, will God dwell in a building? And the answer is no. Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon even recognized that in the book of Chronicles. That God isn't interested in brick and mortar. He's interested in something much more profound. And so by the time you get to the New Testament, you begin to discover that the temple that God has in mind now is it's his people. That through the Holy Spirit, God chooses us to dwell. God chooses to dwell among us, rather, as his people. We are the temple of the living God. And so we come to him, a living stone, and we, as living stones, we plant ourselves with him and in him. And so Peter says, then let yourselves be built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. One of my enduring memories of my trips to Palestine and Israel was seeing the, the prevalence of stones, beautiful, big, white stones. Everywhere you turn, you see these big stones. And you see the homes, you see the buildings, you see the stores, you see the courthouses, the places of worship. They're all built by these massive, beautiful white stones, these limestones. It's no wonder then that when Jesus wanted Peter to understand what it means to confess him as the Son of the living God, Jesus said to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And it was Peter who answered and said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, on this rock, on this confession, this statement, this belief, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sadly, there are so many unhealthy churches that have a different foundation. Some churches are built on music, they're built on the popularity and the notoriety of a pastor. They're built on the amount of money that the church has. They're built on their building. Maybe they have a massive, beautiful building. They're built on their reputation. And, and I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, that is not a good foundation. Because once that pastor falls or leaves or the money dries up or the music minister leaves, 
then you see things begin to crumble and things begin to fall apart because they were not built solidly on Jesus Christ. And this is why when Peter speaks about Jesus as a rock, he speaks about him as both as a, as a promise and as a warning. Here's the promise. To you then who believes, he says in verse 7, Jesus will be precious. Of course he'll be precious. When you've been born again, when you taste and you see that the Lord is good, you will discover the preciousness of who Jesus is. And Jesus then will be the cornerstone on which your entire life rests and you will not be moved. Every time then someone becomes a believer in Jesus and they find Jesus to be precious, they're then added as living stones and the spiritual house that Jesus is building, it keeps growing and they become a holy priesthood and they begin to minister to the Lord. And that's the job that we have in the church. We are a holy priesthood. We're called to minister and we're called to worship God. That's the promise. The church will grow once we believe that Jesus is precious. But then Peter warns, but for those who do not believe, and you'll see that in verse 8, verse, the end of verse 7 and verse 8, for those who do not believe, and Peter is again, being a scholar and a student of the Old Testament, he is quoting from the book of Isaiah, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And this was a message to the religious leaders of Peter's day, of Jesus' day. They rejected Jesus. He's referring to that prophecy where, where the Messiah would come to his own people and they would reject him and they would stumble at his teachings and they would scoff at the crucifixion. How could the Messiah die on a cross? And they would stumble at that. And it would be an abominable thought to them. And they would disobey the word as they were destined to do. What a, what a tragedy it is to find out that you turned away from the cornerstone for your life and you are building on something other than Jesus. If you build your life on anything other than this, if you build your church on anything other than Jesus, it won't last. Here's the last thing Peter wants us to know about what makes a healthy church is in verses 9 and 10. A healthy church then humbly serves Jesus as king. And so in these kinds of churches, there are no pew sitters. That's the most amazing thing that I have come to, to see living and serving the church in the United States is that people join a church and then just sit and watch other people do the work of the church. Well, that's not a healthy church, right? There are no pew sitters in a healthy church. Folks are engaged with God and others. Notice what he says, and you'll see why I say that. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Some translations say a peculiar people. In order that, and here's why there are no pew sitters, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and then he says in verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This quote again comes from the book of Hosea. Peter knows the word of God and he's using it to help us understand what it means to be a healthy body 
we're humbly serving Jesus, who is our King. And I would encourage you to take these verses, verses 9 and 10, write them out in your, in your journal. Write them out and memorize them. Put them somewhere where you can see them by the mirror, when you look in the mirror, to remind yourself of what it means to be the church. There are no pew-sitters. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's what I'd love for you to take with you from these closing verses, that if you're going to serve Jesus the King, you must know these four things. You must know your identity. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're children of the King. You're a holy nation. You are children of the King. Hold on to that. Know your identity. Secondly, know to whom you belong. You're God's own people. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. The third thing you would want to know is that know what you're called to do. You're called to proclaim the mighty acts of God. There are no pew-sitters in a healthy church. People know who they are. People know whose they are. People know what they're called to do. People know their position. Know your position. Stay humble. Once you are not a people, once you had not received mercy, but now you're the people of God, now you've received mercy, and that brings with it a huge measure of humility that God called you out of darkness, out of your sin, out of your brokenness, out of your addictions, and placed you into his marvelous light once you were not a people. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again, but now you are the people of God. So stay humble. Stay humble for prayers. Don't, don't rest on your laurels. Don't get all excited because you've been around for 152 years. Don't rely on your money. Don't rely on your education. Stay humble. You have nothing to boast about. Everything we have as a community at First Prayers, it comes from God. You think about the food, the spiritual food that we have. We didn't manufacture it. It comes from God. You think about the rock on which the church is built. It's not built on some legacy that we created. It's built on Jesus the rock. And we didn't create that rock. You think about the calling that we've received, and we have an amazing calling as a church that we're called to, to know Jesus Christ, to love him, to serve him, and make disciples in Evanston and in the Chicago area and around the world. That's our calling. It comes from God. And so... You think about the next three, the next six, the, 12 month, the next 12 months from now, we don't know what's going to happen. And it really doesn't matter because we may never be able to gather in large groups anymore. It's possible. We may have to live for years and years with this virus. We may have to change how we do worship. We may have to change. Did I say change? I know in the Presbyterian circles, that is like a curse word. But yes. We may have to change how we do ministry, how the church operates. We may have to change how the church worships. We, we may have to change when the church worships. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. As long as we have the right food to eat, as long as we're planted on the right foundation, as long as we stay humble and joyful in serving Jesus as the King and we know who we are, it doesn't matter 
we are going to make it. Can you say a virtual amen to that? We're going to make it. It doesn't matter. And that's why I like to draw the distinction between an organization and an organism. An organization is a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's man-made. It's a, it's a coping mechanism that we come up with to figure out ways to, to, to get around problems and difficulties. But the problem with an organization over time, once the problem is solved and we figured out what we're doing, that organization can become inflexible and unable to respond to change. And it's going to be interesting what happens as we continue to flex and deal with the current pandemic that we're dealing with. Many churches, including ours, we're struggling because our organization isn't built in this way to embrace and flex and adapt to change. On the other hand, an organism, though, is a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's alive. It can replicate itself. And what happens is, even though the, the environment changes, even though new things are brought into the environment to disrupt the environment, the organism adapts to those changes. And I think that's what Dr. Rodney Stark is getting at in his book, why the church was able to remain nimble. It had the right food. It's built on the rock. The church remained humble in its service to Jesus the King. And that is why the church endures. A living organism. It's given life by a living, resurrected Lord Jesus. And when you became a believer, you become a living stone. And you're added to this living organism. And the church begins to grow and grow around the world. And our church in Evanston will continue to grow as long as we remain healthy. May I say it this way? As long as you remain healthy. And so the question is, are you hungry for Jesus? Are you eating the food that Jesus provides? It's really sad when I see Christians who have no knowledge of the Bible. They don't read the Bible. And because they don't read the Bible, they have no appetite for Jesus. Are you building your life on Christ the cornerstone? Are you humbly serving Jesus, your King? Because if you're doing that, our church will be healthy and we will come through these tough times. Can you say amen to that? Give me a virtual amen. We will come through these tough times because we are and will continue to be a healthy church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people say, Amen.